This podcast is brought to you by Nesta, the UK's Innovation Foundation, and was recorded at FutureFest, our weekend festival of ideas. Power, politics, and democracy. This is the FutureFest podcast. I'm Emily Elias, and this time around, we're looking at democracy and where it's heading in the future. On this episode, columnist Owen Jones calls for a shift towards hope. The problem again, it comes back to hope and fear and despair because there is so much anger out there and there is so much fear, but there is one thing missing and that's hope. Baroness Helena Kennedy makes the case for good law and The Economist's Adrian Wooldridge argues we need the elites. But first, Let's start by looking at our current democracy. Nesta asked Baroness Helena Kennedy to ponder the future of democracy and its ongoing challenges. As one of Britain's most distinguished lawyers who has spent her career in human rights law, fighting for civil liberties and constitutional issues, plus she is a member for the House of Lords for the Labour Party, she had more than a few insights to share. Baroness Kennedy took to the stage at FutureFest and began by looking at those at the top. Who has power today? And the recognition growing amongst people is that actually lives beyond the nation state. Floating up there above us is corporate power, is the financial sector's power, is power that actually is very hard for the nation state to control. And we sort of, almost by a sense of smell, people know that politicians can promise all kinds of things, but they're actually at the service of powers that are beyond their control too. So democracy for the 21st century is really challenging. Why am I, as a lawyer, very interested in it? Well, I'm interested in power anyway, as a kind of political being. But I'm also interested in the ways that we recognized in the 20th century that, in fact, simply voting can produce majorities, but majoritarianism, the power of majorities to determine the future of societies, can often lead to pretty ugly stuff. And we saw it, of course, with the rise of Nazism, a populist movement, but which led to horrors being perpetrated against minorities who were scapegoated and held responsible for for society's ills. So you you have to find ways of constraining majoritarianism in a democracy. And the way that you do that is by good law. But of course, in Nazi Germany, there was plenty of law. There was no shortage of law, and there were lawyers and judges who all said, but we were simply doing what the law required of us. We were actually the servants of law. So what kind of law was it? And so in the post-Second World War period, we started thinking about the idea of human rights and how you could create a template of values by which societies had to be judged, and it was for courts to try to do that. And so for me, one of the great challenges of the 21st century is how do you you enmesh those notions of democracy with ideas of human rights? And the next thing is, given that many of the challenges in our world and that are going to continue to be challenges into the future are not nation state problems, but international problems, problems that are shared problems for us, how can democracies deal with climate change? How can democracies deal with international terrorism or international crime or international finance? How do you constrain it without them saying, well, we're going to take our businesses somewhere else where we'll exploit other people? So the real challenges are, has the nation state had its day? 
Or do we have to evolve better structures which are about democracies connecting with each other so that we actually work together more effectively? And for me as a lawyer, that has to mean that we have to have better international law. But you can't have better international law unless you have better international legal institutions. And yet at the same time, a whole lot of mad folk here in Britain don't want to have anything to do with international courts. And indeed the United States does not want to have things to do with international courts. It wouldn't join up for the International uh, Criminal Court to bring to justice people who commit egregious uh, crimes against humanity. So what do we do about um, the fact that uh, we have these problems that stretch beyond the nation state and how do we invent ways of dealing with that? And those are going to be the big challenges for the future and for us as people who care about people being in control of our own lives and that we should be determining how we're government and how we call and constrain, call to book, those who exercise power over us but who seem to be beyond containment. So, one of the things about democracies is that you have to have good law. And I know lots of people think law, you know, and they don't, they, they don't like the sound of it, but it has to be law invested with commitments to human rights, respect for the individual, caring for the other and, and stepping into the shoes of the other to make it work. And that's going to be the challenge for us in the future. How do we keep people kind of joined in, especially those who are marginal, who are different, and who are most likely to be kept to the edge? And we see that constantly now in the debates that there are around immigration, the debates, the debates that there are around wanting to be able to deport people readily, the whole business of wanting to separate off from the European Court of Human Rights because we don't like decisions that tell us when we do things that aren't right. And so we have to decide whether we want to be part of something that is cross-border and international and where we breathe in and we're more, we're more prepared to be interactive and to find solutions to international problems that are collective solutions. Are we willing to do that in a real way um, or we are we going to sort of steadily retreat into narrower notions of little England, um, fearful of a bigger world, which in fact is one where the challenges are exciting, they're going to be frightening, but where the only solutions are going to be collective. So how do we challenge our leaders? Get people involved to actually see change? Well, Guardian columnist slash author Owen Jones has the answer, hope. He took to the stage at FutureFest to preach about the politics of hope and his take on how to make those at the top pay attention to those at the bottom. A six-year-old man called Stephen Taylor, an army veteran, and he was selling poppies for the Royal Legion. He was selling poppies for maimed and injured former comrades of his. He was desperately looking for work. It's 60 years old, it's tough, it's hard. Tried to get a job at the supermarket he was selling poppies at. He had his benefits sanctioned for four weeks on the basis his volunteering for the Royal Legion showed he wasn't trying hard enough to look for work. But compare and contrast, huge amounts of state support, no questions asked for those at the top of society. For those at the bottom, the measly state support you get, ever more conditional or just stripped away altogether. Socialism for the rich, capitalism sink or swim for those at the bottom instead. And I think that characterises so much of modern British society. Now, the problem again, it comes back to hope and fear and despair because there is so much anger out there and there is so much fear, but there is one thing missing and that's hope. Tony Benn died 
almost exactly a year ago. And he always said this, the way you get change is the burning flame of anger at injustice and the burning flame of hope at a better world. But without hope, people give up. They become resigned, they join the biggest party in the country, which isn't uh, the Tories or the Lib Dems, certainly not the Lib Dems, or Labour or UKIP, it's the yelling at the TV party. All their anger is redirected at their neighbours. And what we have had and what we've experienced ever since this crisis began is a cynical, ruthless, relentless attempt to redirect people's anger at their circumstances, at the problems facing the nation as a whole, away from those at the top of society instead. And what it is, is the politics of envy. But the idea is this, is to shift the terms of debate away from where they are at the moment, where we almost have a national debate constantly focused on the interests of those with wealth and power on the basis that if uh, they're looked after, then society as a whole uh, will benefit, where we shift those terms of debate. But it is up to a new left, a resurgent left, to create a coherent alternative that resonates with people's experiences and is communicated in a language they understand. But that requires organised movements, not think tanks, organised movements. Frederick Douglass, the 19th century African-American statesman, he said, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and it never will. And I think that is an eternal truth, that the way we've always got change in this country and elsewhere isn't because of the goodwill and generosity of the powerful, but because of the struggle and sacrifice of people from below, organising often against what seem like insurmountable odds in order to build a different sort of society. And that goes back to the Tolpuddle Martyrs, back these agricultural workers who fought for the rights of a trade union back in the 1830s, transported to Australia uh, as punishment, and hundreds of thousands gathered on the streets and signed petitions to demand their return. The early trade unionists who fought for the dignity and rights of working people. The suffragettes, now treated almost as secular saints, but in their day, reviled and detested as anarchists and terrorists, locked up in prisons, force-fed, and so on. And the way all this change has always happened isn't simply through polite conversations and seminars and discussions, but because people organised. They had the burning flame of anger at injustice, and they had the burning flame of hope at a better world. And that, for me, is the critical challenge facing the left that that means organising now, organising a coherent radical alternative, but also building a mass popular movement in the way our ancestors did. And if they achieved all those things, then we, I believe, can do the same today. If you want more Owen Jones, guess what? We got a video for that. It's on nesta.org.uk. He's also written a book called The Establishment, which is out now. So it feels like we've been dancing around this big question. Do we need the elites? Well, Adrian Wooldridge, The Economist's management editor, says yes. And he made his case at FeatureFest. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. The future does need elites. And I would emphasize that it needs elites rather than an elite. It needs plural elites. And it needs circulation of elites. It needs these elites constantly to change. But there are two sort of arguments that one constantly hears 
about the evils and dangers of elites, which I think are completely wrong. One is the argument from the populists, which demonizes all elites as being self-seeking, rent-seeking, dangerous people who need to be constantly demonized. You hear that from Marine Le Pen, you hear it from UKIP here, uh, you hear it from the Tea Party in the United States, you hear it from the left in, in Britain as well. It's a very powerful argument. It could well convert Mrs. Le Pen into uh, the president of France, but it's a very dangerous argument. The second variant of this argument you get is from tech utopians um, who say it's all a matter of voting. Technology empowers us all to make instant decisions on everything. Democracy and all the rest of it, representative democracy is an old encumbrance. We need to get rid of that. Uh, and you see these two sorts of strains of argument merging in the figure of Douglas Carswell, who said that, you know, parliamentary democracy is like HMV in the age of Spotify. We need to have digital democracy. And I think all of these arguments are really very, very dangerous. Um, partly because I think you will always have elites. There is an iron law of oligarchy which has operated throughout history. You can't not have elites. Decisions need to be made. So you hear a lot of trendy talk in companies about holacracy, about getting rid of hierarchy. They always return to the hierarchical form. You will always have some sort of hierarchy of decision-making. There will always be people who will come up and make those decisions. But secondly, I think that elites are good things, that you need to have elites. You need to have people who can deliberate, who can make difficult decisions, who can do so calmly on the basis of large amounts of, in uh, of information and some sort of philosophical perspective on things. Um, we have very many difficult decisions to, be, to make about things like the environment, about things like the funding of entitlements, all of which require people with expertise and a philosophical perspective. And I think elites can actually do a great deal of good in counteracting long-termism, counteracting the dangerous voices of populism. So the question that strikes me as an interesting one is not whether we need or whether we're going to have elites, I take that as given, but how we select these elites, how we educate these elites, and how we structure power so that we get the best out of those elites and not the worst out of those elites. And that brings us to the end of this episode of the Future Fest podcast. This podcast featured music by Broke for Free and Dexter Britton. Future Fest is brought to you by Nesta the independent innovation charity with a mission to help people and organizations bring great ideas to life. To join the conversation, go to the website nesta.org.uk. And while you're there, you will also find full-length videos of Owen Jones and Baroness Kennedy's talks. And if you like this podcast, why not do us a favor and tell your friends, even rate us on iTunes. A few clicks can help others discover what you've been enjoying these past few episodes. We'll be back next time where it's all about machines, humans, and the fight for survival. But until then, I'm Emily Elias. Goodbye. <laughs>